Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You should give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. John Miltimore will be joining us. He's the editor-at-large at Fee.org. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of uh, Murder Mysteries, will be visiting with Jim as well. It is December the 18th, and on this day in 1865, following the ratification by the requisite three-quarters of the states earlier in the month, the 13th Amendment was formally adopted into the United States Constitution, ensuring that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Before the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln and other leaders of anti-slavery Republican Party sought to not to abolish slavery, but merely to stop its extension into the new territories and states in the American West. This policy was unacceptable to most uh, Southern politicians who believed that the growth of free states would turn the U.S. power structure in, irre- irrevocably against them. In November 1860, Lincoln election as president signaled the secession of seven southern states and the formation of the Confederate States of America. Shortly after his inauguration in 1861, the Civil War began. Four more southern states joined this Confederacy, while four border states uh, in the Upper South remained in the Union. Lincoln, who he privately detested slavery, responded cautiously to the calls by abolitionists for emancipation of all enslaved Americans after the outbreak of the Civil War. As the war dragged on, <clears throat> however, Republican-dominated federal government uh, began to realize the st- strategic advantage of emancipation. The liberation of enslaved people would weaken the Confederacy by depriving it of a major portion of its labor force, uh, which would in turn strengthen the Union by producing an influx of manpower. With 11 southern states seceding from the Union, there were very few pro-slavery congressmen to stand in the way of such an action. In 1862, Congress annulled the fugitive slave laws, prohibited slaves in in the U.S. territories, and authorized Lincoln to employ formerly enslaved people in the Army. Following the major Union victory at the Battle of Antietam in September, Lincoln issued a warning of his intent to issue an Emancipation Proclamation for all states still in the rebellion on New Year's Day. That's the story of the 13th Amendment. The war was started uh, not because of slavery, but it was started to keep the Union together, and it resulted in the abolition of slavery. Well, the Nasdaq closed at an all-time high on Friday, breaking the record it set in November of 2021, as tech stocks continue to rally on the news that the Fed may cut interest rates next year. All three major indexes extended weekly uh, winning streak to seven weeks, seven tech mega stops, stocks, uh, mega caps, Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, NVIDIA, Tesla, Meta, and Amazon have surged 75% this year, while the other 493 companies in the S&P 500 have gained 12%. The Magnificent Seven now have accounted for nearly 30% of the entire index's value. It's amazing. Seven stocks out of 500 accounting for 30% of the value. Well, the number of homeless individuals in the United States surged by over 12% in 2023 compared to 2022, driven by the escalating costs of living that pushed uh, vulnerable Americans into shelters and onto the streets. And and just parenthetically, so we're housing illegals now and pushing citizens onto the street. That makes no sense whatsoever. The latest figures released Friday by the U.S. Department of Urban Planning and Development reveal a sharp increase with a total homeless population reaching 653,000 folks. This marks the most substantial rise and largest unhoused population since the federal government began recording data in 2007. In the previous year, the federal data indicated about 580,000 individuals experienced homelessness. The federal government complies or compiles these annual figures based on counts provided by local officials during a single night in January. So the numbers are probably more exaggerated than right now, but uh, we'll find out more in a single day 
in January. Well, denouncing President Joe Biden unleashing hell on America, former President Donald Trump hailed what a difference a president can make. It really does make a difference, he said. Joe Biden is a low IQ individual, Trump said in Durham, uh, New Hampshire, at his campaign rally speech. He's truly the worst, most incompetent, and most corrupt president in the history of our country. Former President Trump coined the new term Saturday for the Green New Deal, calling it the Green New Scam. Crooked Joe put it to you, really, in the poorhouse, and I don't even get the politics of it, Trump said. But when you vote in this election, together we're going to save America, and we're going to bring our country back from hell. Not one thing has gotten better under Crooked Joe Biden. The New Hampshire primary is the first in the nation roughly one week after the Iowa caucuses next month. On Tuesday, January 2nd, we're going to win the New Hampshire primary, and then we're going to crush Crooked Joe Biden next November, and we're going to make America great again, said Trump. He warned, American weakness and submission will be over come January 2025, rejecting the Biden administration's leading the world into a pair of wars in Ukraine and Gaza. So Trump uh, was a great speech, by the way, and thousands of people there in New Hampshire. Well, the Biden campaign had a retort, saying that former President Donald Trump in New Hampshire on Saturday uh, channeled the words of dictators whom he most admires as Trump critics continue to warn he would run the U.S. as a dictator if reelected. Such nonsense. Uh, Tonight, Donald Trump channeled his role models as he parroted Adolf Hitler, praising Kim Jong-un and quoting Vladimir Putin while running for president on the promise to rule as a dictator and threaten democracy, said Biden-Harris campaign spokesperson. So Biden weaponizes the uh, DOJ, the Department of Justice, the FBI, and attacks his political rivals with lawfare, and somehow, someway, Trump is the dictator. I'll never forget Biden saying about the uh, vaccines, we're beginning to lose our patience. <laughs> He's the dictator. The notion that Trump would rule as a dictator took hold several weeks ago when he asked on FBA uh, TV by Fox News opinion host whether he would. He just said that uh, on the first day he'd do uh, build the wall, border wall and <clears throat> uh, support the border. And uh, from that, they've extrapolated that into uh, this, this theme. Such nonsense. Well, California is drowning in $68 billion budget deficit, resulting in the state defaulting on a $20 billion loan from the federal government. How can they, they're not paying back the money we loaned them? The multi-billion dollar deficit comes under uh, Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom's leadership and is so extreme that Newsom's Department of Finance has called for a spending freeze across state agencies. I don't think we'll be hearing much from Gavin Newsom in the coming months about how great California is. $68 billion deficit. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer uh, described the home of President Joe Biden as a crime scene as son Hunter Biden allegedly used his house to commit crimes. According to Senator John uh, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, banks filed at least six reports concerning Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings that flagged President Joe Biden's home address in Delaware and raised concerns about possible criminal activity involving money laundering or human trafficking. Johnson said Joe Biden would have the most certainly known his son was using his home as a business and banking address, if nothing else from postal mail arriving at that location. He added that uh, House impeachment investigators have plenty of grounds to question Joe Biden's complicity in his son's foreign dealings. If Joe Biden didn't know what was going on in his own home, how did he? How, how could he be president of the United States? Comer asked. Uh, does he need to have access to a nuclear code? I don't think so. He added that Biden has some serious questions that he needs to answer. Why weren't the Treasury Cabinet officials notifying, I'm sorry, Mr. President, your family has received a record amount of bank violations. Why didn't that happen? Why didn't the Secret Service say that? Good questions. Senate negotiators reportedly made progress over the weekend on a suite of border security measures working under a self-imposed Sunday deadline to reach an agreement. Lawmakers have tied the package to a larger $110 billion deal that includes support for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. The list of proposed policy changes have not been released. However, the White House signaled it would uh, consider a new authority for expulsions at the border. The power would be similar to Title 42, which ended in May and allowed deportation of certain migrants. 
mostly single adults, without going through the formal asylum process during the COVID-19 pandemic. More than 2 million border encounters were registered in 2023, down slightly from the previous year, but more than the double the 2019 number, number, the last full year before the pandemic. Under Title 42, more than a million migrants were expelled in 2022, though more than 25% of the encounters came from expelled migrants trying to cross the border again. So how effective was it? I don't know. You know, this whole bill of combining these issues into one bill, that's what the Senate wants to do in order to provide support for Ukraine. I hope uh, Johnson sticks, Speaker Johnson speak, sticks to his guns. Uh, only one bill at a time. Consider them on the merits of them and uh, not making concessions based on, I want this, but I'll hold my nose and vote for that. No, let's just have one issue at a time in the bill. If Johnson sticks to his gums, I think he can wear the Senate down. We'll see. Well, Harvard received its lowest number of early admission applications in years following a spew of a controversy surrounding anti-Semitism and plagiarism. The Ivy League University saw a 17% drop in applications from students applying through early admission, with uh, 7,921 candidates compared to last year's 9,553. The decline doesn't come as a shock to many uh, following the scandals that the prestigious university and the institution has wrapped up in over the past few months. Now, by, by the way, early admissions applications are up at Yale. They're up at University of Pennsylvania, down at Harvard. I think they're tarnishing their own brand, quite frankly. I wonder if they're pulling a, bo- a Bud Light's <laughs> episode here of uh, tarnishing the brand of Harvard. That's hard to do, but I think they've actually accomplished in doing it. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to weigh in a lower court ruling that weakened the Food and Drug Administration's 2016 and 21 decisions to make uh, uh, the abortion medication mepiphrasone uh, widely available. Mepiphrasone, which has been around for more than two decades, is one of the two drag drugs used for medically induced abortions. The pill is authorized for use for up to 10 weeks in gestation and has been used by more than 5 million since uh, 2000 when the FDA approved the medication. The High Court will review an August ruling from the Federal Appeals Court that upheld a lower court's restriction uh, to the drug, which includes uh, removing access to the medication by mail and shortening the time frame from when the pill can be consumed for 10 weeks to 7 weeks. The Federal Appeals Court found that FDA didn't follow procedures when loosening regulations. The Supreme Court is expected to take up the case in the spring and a decision likely in June. Also, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear an appeal over scope of federal obstruction law against uh, used to prosecute over 300 people on January 6th storming the Capitol. That's really important, too. The judge paused former President Donald Trump's federal election interference case amid immunity appeal. So it just really troubles me that the FDA is not following procedures and is operating at the whim of uh, big, big, uh, not big tech, but uh, big pharma. And it's really a shame that uh, they're loosening their rules and regulations in order to do what uh, big pharma wants. That's my opinion. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner 
4 to 8 p.m. Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with John Mildemore. He is the editor-at-large for Fee.org. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's great for kids of all ages, including I, you and I. It's called HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. HistoryCentral.com. Mark, good morning. Morning. Thank you so much for uh, being available, Mark. Uh, let's start off by talking about what's going on in Israel. Lots of news uh, surrounding Israel at this time. Yeah, absolutely, on so many different areas. So let's start with uh, Gaza itself. That war continues. Um, Israeli troops are in various places inside of Gaza. Uh, the fighting has been heavy. It's not gone easy in the sense that it's it's house-to-house fighting that never goes quickly um, because it's house-to-house fighting, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, Israel probably has occupies about half of the Gaza Strip at this point, uh, but the Hamas have these humongous tunnel networks underground, and they're only slowly being found, all of them. Yesterday they found a tunnel um, that went five kilometers up to the border, and it was big enough to drive a car through. Amazing. And it was concrete encased. In other words, it wasn't just something someone did, dug in the sand or whatever. It was literally a, you know, a tunnel you would see under the East River or somewhere else, a concrete tunnel. Um, and it was built almost up to the Israeli border. And so there are more of those all over the place. And so the problem is you can gain control of Gaza above ground, but then you have to worry about Gaza below ground. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of the Hamas people are, are hold, held out. And that's where they probably have a lot of the hostages. So mm. that's on that level, it was a terrible tragedy two days, three days ago, I guess it was Friday, when four host- um, three hostages excuse me, managed to get free of Hamas, put up signs, did all they should have done to make it clear that they were not a threat, uh, had a white flag, and they were gunned down by Israeli troops who were trigger-happy. There's no other way of saying it. I mean, they were in intense combat all the time, and everybody they see they think is an enemy, and that's it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. So tragic. Um, and and those uh, those soldiers who are responsible for that, I'm sure, would be brought to justice. So, uh, But, it, you know, these things happen in war. No, it's really terrible. I mean, look, part of the problem is these particular soldiers, uh, I don't know who the, who the individuals were, but I know from what group they were from, and these were very young soldiers who were in a, a what's called a squadron commander's course. Mm-hmm. So they get picked to do that very quickly out of basic training. So they've been in the Army six months. And they're operators, so they're 18 year olds, and suddenly they've been in combat now for six weeks. Yeah. So, you know, not the best. It's, you know, it's the most, it's the longest, most intensive uh, combat Israel's ever experienced. So these soldiers, you know, just, I won't say they aren't up to it, because obviously they're up to it, but you start making more and more mistakes the longer you're in combat. Well, we see this with the law enforcement. I mean, you know, these decisions are made in a hurry. It's not like you you get out your manual and say, what should I do now? (laughs) 
<laughs> right, but in both cases, law enforcement and these soldiers, um, people need to think for two seconds before they use deadly force. Not ten seconds, not an hour, right. but two seconds before you use deadly force. Right, absolutely. Um, and even in terms of law enforcement, I have never understood uh, why uh, everyone is taught to shoot to kill. Right. I really, especially law enforcement. I don't understand why shooting to, to, you know, cripple is not good enough in terms of law enforcement because if you made a mistake, it's, you know, still fixable, let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, there's this little I've, problem. That, that I've never understood. I mean, okay, if the guy pulls a gun at you, it's one thing, but in other circumstances, yeah. why shooting to kill? Shoot, shoot to wound seriously. Yeah. So. Yeah, they have a little problem of adrenaline at the moment, though. So. Uh, oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. That's it's it's really a problem. And the, the fear factor that that all humans it's you know built into our DNA. Yeah. Uh, fear and fear to survive, and you do what you need to do, and sometimes you do what you shouldn't do. So Netanyahu is holding ground. I mean, he is uh, definitely following through on the whole notion of eliminating Hamas. Tons of worldwide pressure against him right now. What are your thoughts? Okay, well, two things. First of all, the worldwide pressure, as long as, there's no, as, long as the United States uh, continues to support Israel's action, the rest of the world really makes very little difference. Mm -hmm. And most of them are in favor of eliminating Hamas. They just are playing to their domestic audiences, uh, attacking Israel for doing it. I don't think there are very many places in the world where Hamas is, other than some college campuses in the United States, is particularly popular. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that's the issue. Um, the question is, of course, the U.S. and the U.S. Um, so far has been uh, has been steady in its support, um, but then there's you know there's some domestic pressure in the United States as well. Look, the images are not pretty. There's no question about it. There are collateral, you know, what's called collateral damage, which is a terrible term to use yeah. for innocent people who die. Right. But you know they die because Hamas decides to to fight from within the population, which is a violation of of international law in and of itself. But I mean. To talk about Hamas violating international law is ridiculous. I mean, they're a terror organization. Exactly. So international law has very little meaning to them. Now, my, my so, understanding is that uh, right now, uh, Qatar and the United States are in talks for release and for extending the ceasefire and uh, the release of more hostages. Uh, have you heard the same thing? Okay, so there is, talks, there is talk about talks. Uh -huh. In other words, there are no actual talks. Okay. Hamas has said in the last two days they're not interested in any talking whatsoever unless the war ends. In other words, only with the end of the war and a ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire, they're willing to talk about hostages. That's not a term that Israel is willing to agree to because mm -hmm. that basically means Hamas wins. Mm -hmm. So that's where it stands at the moment. I mean, Netanyahu needs to show that he's engaging in some way or another because the, certainly the families of the hostages are you know, putting enough pressure, and obviously so, I mean, everyone's concerned about them, and they were innocents, they weren't, you know, some of them were soldiers, of course, but most of them were still, you know, civilians sleeping in their beds. Mm -hmm. So, um, there is a lot of pressure to come to some sort of deal. On the other hand, any deal that we come to is going to be a terrible deal. Mm -hmm. So, that that's the reality. So, there's talk about talks, whether actually anything will come of that, I really don't know. The reason the talks ended last time was because Hamas didn't keep its end of the bargain and didn't want to give up the last women mm -hmm. and possibly children, but mostly last women. And the, the feeling here is that if we go ahead with other talks, it's basically saying we'll never see these women again because of whatever reason they don't want to give up on these. They don't want to give up these women. Well, they're certainly not people of their word. So, uh, what's the mood in Israel? Still, quiet determination more than anything else. There's a certain clear sadness in the country. There's no two ways about it. I mean, I, when I appear on television, my friends say to me, why do you look so sad? And I said, why do I look so sad? Are you, are you kidding? Yeah. It's a very sad situation. Yeah. So there's a sadness that exists. And determination, determination to see this through because there really isn't any choice. Yeah. But, um, and most people, you know, the majority, overwhelming majority of the country hopes Netanyahu leaves office at the end of the war. A lot of people want him to leave now. He, on the other hand, thinks he needs to stay forever because he has some sort of messiah complex that only he can save the situation. And, you know, politicians generally have this problem that they get so narcissistic that they think only they can. Right. And, um, you know, we see this everywhere in the world. We certainly see this amongst American presidents 
and we see this amongst the other leaders all over the world. Absolutely. So. I should I should mention to our listeners that uh, Mark is located in Tel Aviv, and so he's right in the eye of the storm right now. So, Mark, really appreciate your commentary on this. We have some other things to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239 239- 325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They help prepare elected officials to enter office and have a winning strategy. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Uh, by the way, I saw pictures of uh, prisoners in their underwear. They're lined up. There's hundreds of them, scores of them, I should say. And uh, just wondering if perhaps uh, the leadership and the resolve of Hamas is caving at this point. No, I don't think so. I mean, those are, the, the, from what I understand, the ones who surrendered have had lost communication with their leadership. In other words, they lost communication and they didn't know what to do, and they were scared, and they surrendered. Mm. So I don't think it's um, I don't I don't think it's the leadership that's that's lost um, that's lost um, you know that, that that are giving up. I think there are places where where groups are giving up, uh-huh. but I think it's um, I think it's individual places, and it's not a sign that that um, that the leadership itself is is ready to give up. Okay, we'll have to see about that, but. Um, they're, gonna, they're hardcore. What can I tell you? They're hardcore, and I don't think they're going to give up so easily, to be honest with you. Quite frankly, I they think... They really don't care about their population one bit. Yeah, I, I think it's got to get to the point where people literally say, you know, we can have to stop uh, attacking Israel because it could cost us our lives and our family. I, until the populace really believes that, I think this thing is just going to continue to, to go on. See, the problem with that, I, I agree with you, but the problem with that is some of these people think it's a, you know, a great gift to give up their lives. Yeah. For the cause, you know, to become a shaheed, to become a, you know, and their their mothers who are who are happy that their sons have become shaheeds and given up their lives for the cause. That's, That's where it gets really problematic. Yeah, you know, indeed. I can't think of any American parent. Um, they may be proud of their child who earned the earned the Medal of Honor saving people, but not one of them is happy. 
Right. That they got killed doing that. Exactly. So, Mark, before we leave uh, the topic of the Middle East, uh, any comments on the Houthis and what's going on there? Right. So they're continuing to to attack uh, shipping. They attacked an oil tanker today. Um, I think uh, Lloyd Austin is currently in Israel. He's in the Middle East, the U.S. Defense Secretary, and he's there with with uh, General Brown, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And I think they're going to announce... Uh, the creation of a multinational force to protect shipping um, mm. in the Red Sea and um, in the area of Yemen. Uh, what I understand is the French, the British, the Australians, and probably even the Japanese are going to take part. Uh, we're not quite sure if the Saudis and the Egyptians will officially take part, but they're unofficially will take part. Um, so uh, that's a major force. Yeah. Um, the question is, you know, can you be successful is always the question. The problem is um, that the Saudis fought the Houthis for a number of years, uh, and they thought they could win the war from, you know, from the air. Mm-hmm. And as we've learned, going back to Vietnam and even going back to World War II, you can't win a war from air, from air power alone. Air power is a great additive power, and it gives you great strength, but it never wins a war. So, so interesting that so maybe in the one case it might have might have been in, in Bosnia in in the civil war there I guess it was um, the former Yugoslavia gave in because of the air attacks but that's yeah. probably the only time in history that I can think of it. It it just surprises me that such a small force could have su- such a disruptive effect on our world. Well, they got all their missiles from the Iranians. Yeah. You know, missiles can do a lot of damage, and you know they have a lot of missiles they got from the Iranians. The Iranians, I mean, they couldn't de- they couldn't develop these missiles, they couldn't produce these missiles. They've gotten everything from the Iranians. Yeah. So you're really fighting Iran with just a proxy guy who's in front there. Thank you, Marshall. So let's so move to Hungary. What's going on in Hungary? Well, Hungary, it's really uh, Hungary's role in the EU at the moment. Uh, the EU wanted to give Ukraine a very large aid package, and basically, um, Orban vetoed it. You need unanimity in the EU, and he vetoed it. The, everyone in the EU is is um, furious about it because every other country in the EU wanted to give this money and defense uh, support to to um, to Ukraine, and of course, Orban is a a friend of Putin, and he's in together with Putin on a lot of things, two dictators working together. So um, at this point, the EU is considering uh, leaving out his voting power in terms of uh, as being part of the EU to make those decisions, because I think there are 54 countries and 53 countries voted in favor of the aid package. Mm Mm-hmm. So he's single-handedly. I mean, he's he does a lot of these things because he's really, you know, he, he really doesn't fit in the EU because again, he's a, he's become a dictator, and uh, so he's been opposing a lot of policies. And he, of course, he's very close to Putin. Why do you say that um, he's a dictator? I thought he was an elected official. He's an elected official who controls all of the press, and who uh, and who takes um, his uh, opponents and arrests them. So yes, you're, there's elections. That but sounds that like the United a, States. <laughs> no, it's not like the United States. Just stop the nonsense. First of all, when they when they get arrested in Hungary, they disappear. Ah. If you if you were trying to compare to Trump, and I don't get into that whole discussion, but Trump's still out there on the campaign trails, right? So I mean, let's not uh, let's not compare the two. And number two, literally, literally, there's no free, free press. What he did, I think I mentioned this last week. He bought up, he he stopped all government ads in all the all the press. The prices became um, depressed tremendously, and then he had his friends buy all the press. So there was no press that is not friendly of him. Uh-huh. So are there elections? Yes, there are elections, but there are elections that are highly um, tilted. Now, Poland came back from that, mm-hmm. and that's the interesting thing. I mean, Poland had free elections, and they ousted uh, someone who was very similar to Orban in his dictat- dictatorial attempts to, to to maintain power. He eliminated the freedom of the judiciary and did other things, but the independent uh, opposition came together and they actually voted him out because he didn't stop elections. He just tried to tilt it in his favor. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But Orban is... He lost once, like 30, 25 years ago, and he said, I'm never going to lose again. So wh- why do you think he, he wants to stay in the EU? I, well, I would imagine you want to get out. Money, 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 money. Hungary gets a lot of money from the EU. Ah. That's the reason. Uh, same reason Poland stayed, despite the fact they were taking various acts, actions that you didn't approve of, and they were forced to limit their actions, but they get a lot of money. 
yeah. from the EU. All of the Eastern, all the former Eastern European countries received a lot of money in order for their economies to catch up with the Western European countries. Interesting. And so there's a lot of development money and other things involved, so that's why he wants to stay, not to mention trade. You know, mm. Being part of the EU means there's no tariffs, freedom of movement for his people and everything else. So yeah. that's why he wants to stay. Understood. He doesn't want to pay the price of agreeing with everybody else. And he's, like I said, he agrees 100% with Putin. And understand, two of them are dictators. Um, and um, I, I, for one, think dictators are bad. I do too. So let's let's move to Finland. Uh, Finland's in the news. So Finland's in the news again. It comes back to Russia once again. Finland's in the news because Russia was trying to overwhelm them with uh, with migrants. I'm not quite even sure where the Russians got these migrants from. Um, and then Finland closed the border, mm-hmm. and then they opened the border a little bit again to Russia because there's a lot of trade goes on between Finland and and Russia. And then Russia started overwhelming them again, so they closed the border again. And then um, Putin, in his speech, which I was going to get to in a moment, basically said, you see what happens when a country joins NATO? They suddenly have all sorts of problems. Look what happens. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, Putin is the, uh, Finland is the latest uh, country to join NATO. The only other country is Sweden, which is still a little bit immersed with politics with, with Turkey. Um, so Finland joined NATO, and now Putin is doing his best to try to undermine the Finland as much as he can. Mm-hmm. Again, this was one of the geopolitical effects of his invasion of Ukraine. Um, he got his one of his biggest neighbors uh, to be part of a country that used to be neutral. You know, Finland was neutral for many, many decades, and now it's part of NATO. Yeah. So let's let's say he's not happy with it, to be the, to say the least. So Mark, we're going to have to uh, talk about what hap- what's happening in Russia next week. Uh, we've run out of time before we've run out of things to talk about. So I just genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. Again, I refer our listeners to your website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week, everybody. You as well. Thank you so much, Mark. All right, coming up, John Miltimore. He is the editor-at-large for Fee.org. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up. The website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us John Miltimore. He is the editor-at-large for fee.org. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's great being with you, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, John. Tell us about Fee.org. Yeah, Fee's been around a long time. We uh, were founded shortly after World War II. Our mission is to uh, educate the next generation on economics, liberty, and the other elements that are necessary to create a free and prosperous society. Terrific organization. I just encourage our listeners to go to Fee.org and also introduce the, uh, the organization to uh, Kids of Your Life uh, that are high school and college age is a terrific organization. John, you wrote a piece for the National Enquirer. National Enquirer, Washington <laughs> Examiner, excuse me. Close, right? <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> for the Washington Examiner. Democrats go full Nixon on price controls. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, you know, there was a CBS poll that came out last week, and it, it's astonishing. that The headline's a little misleading because it's not just Democrats. Um, 66% of Americans say they, uh, according to this poll, you know, those who were surveyed, 66% of them surveyed, said that they would support using price controls uh, to tame inflation. And uh, this was, you know, anybody who studies economics, you know, would, would find this a bit alarming. It's like saying 66% of Americans believe the earth is flat or yeah. something like that. Um, price controls are no way to tame inflation. We have an abundance of history. In economics, that shows this. Um, you know, price controls can do some things. They can, you know, they're good at creating black markets and, and famines and, and, you know, shortages of all kinds. Um, not good at taming inflation. So this was alarming to me. And, um, you know, I just used it in a recent historical example of, you know, a lot of people might uh, know and others might not know that, that we tried this not that long ago. Um, during the Nixon presidency, and it was, a, you know, very much a disaster. We remember, you know, all those, you know, gasoline lines are probably the most prominent example of one of the consequences of this, where um, by capping the price you could charge for gasoline, you had massive shortages, and you yeah. had people uh, lining up at, at, you know, fuel lines and things. That was a little before my time. Maybe you remember it. Bob. I, I but, certainly um, do remember it. I, for the life of me, I thought it was Carter's administration, but in respect, maybe it's because I don't like Carter so much. But. Well, it started it started in the Nixon administration, then it kind of continued, the policy continued into the Carter administration, um, but before they moved on from him. And a lot of people think the oil embargo and things, you know, you know, were, were the cause of that. And it's really not true. Right. But, but like the, the the oil embargo, like it can make you can create more demand and less, you know, you have less supply for oil. It can make prices go up, but that's not going to create a, a massive shortage like we experienced. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, it's interesting. There's so much history, you know, on this front. Um, you can go all the way back to ancient Babylon. We have the first record of, of price controls. It was in the Code of Hammurabi. Yeah. And the Babylonian Empire didn't last very long, and I think that's part of the problem, right? Like, like is they're, they're trying some of these bad ideas. You can see it in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. These have never worked, and um, it's a bit alarming to me that so many Americans would think this policy works. Now, the good thing is there's not a lot of people that are proposing this today. There's some, but hardly any, because it's really a discredited idea. Um, you won't find any you know, economists of, of repute that are defending price controls. But I think Americans really need to understand you can, you can try all these regulations, you can try printing money, you know, underlying all that, you have you know, the first lesson of economics is you have scarcity. You don't have enough things to go around. Money and prices, you know, like, like those things help us, you know, manage that. That's how we allocate resources most, you know, more efficiently. And uh, price controls really frustrate that. No question. I mean, another form of price control I, I would propose or suggest uh, is uh, wage, uh, wage, uh, minimum wage uh, laws, for example, $25 an hour now, I think, in California, minimum wage. I mean, when you start making those types of decisions, uh, what happens is uh, you, you affect the marketplace and uh, it would happen. businesses go out, of, go out of business. They can't afford to, to produce goods and items. So, uh, and, uh, and another one is, uh, for example, rent controls. Uh, I remember living in California, the uh, city of Los Angeles came out with a rule that uh, you can't increase wages beyond 12%. You know what happened, John? Every every landlord increased their wage, their uh, rents by 12%. <laughs> 
Yeah, we, we've you know up here where I'm from. I'm from the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Um, St. Paul passed very aggressive you know rent control policy just recently, and <laughs> excuse me, they, they had so much <clears throat> capital investment that pulled out. So we're not, we're, we're, they stopped building projects. That there was a huge panic. Um, all these council members that had passed it said, well, okay, well, well then they, they rethought it and they, they, you know, redid the legislation to make it less, you know, aggressive, but that's a problem. You know, you have high prices cause you don't have enough housing. Yeah. Price controls can't fix that problem. They're not going to, you know, housing is scarce like everything else. Yeah. Um, price controls, what they're going to do is they're going to drive out that investment. The people that build the houses, um, they're going to say, well, I'm not going to build this. I'm not going to pour all my my capital into this if, if I can't, you know, get, get a return on my investment. Sure. And, and you're absolutely right with, with um, uh, minimum wages as well. And I'll add to that. It's not just businesses they harm. You know, we, we uh, did a piece earlier this year on a, on a paper that came out. Um, I think it was a Berkeley paper. Uh, it showed you know, homelessness is linked to high minimum wage laws as well, because what you're doing is you're pricing out, um, you know, people with fewer job skills that really need those jobs. There's nothing, you, no government prog- program is ever efficient at helping people as a job. And, and by having these higher minimum wage laws, you, you, you price people out of jobs. Right. And then they, you, they find themselves in, in a state of dependency on the government. They, you know, they're more likely to be, you know, drug and alcohol abusers. Um, you know, these are minimum wage laws are very harmful and not just to businesses, but to, but to individuals who need those jobs. No question. So uh, back to the, the uh, pricing theory. I mean, it's so so elementary, so so important to our economy. It's just allowing the free markets to determine the prices. I have a voluntary buyer and a voluntary seller agree on a price for something and keep the government out of it. Yeah. No, it really is. And this is something people, you know, have, you might come across this as a Christmas conversation. People, you know, kind of think like, oh, we're doing good by doing these policies. Um, what you're doing is, is frustrating a free market economy, which really is the engine of, of wealth. Yeah, and, and people think they're doing good with these policies. Um, th- these policies are extremely harmful. You just, it, it's harder to sometimes see the effects in, of those harms. Um, but, but just because you don't see them you know, noticeably doesn't mean that they're not there. Um, you know, if you look so much evidence that, 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 you know, price controls, especially, um, they have very pernicious effects and, and, uh, this is something, you know, Americans need to know. And I guess that's one of the reasons fee exists because we're one of the few organizations that's really pounding the table on this and trying to get people to understand that, you know, this is basic economics and you don't have to be a, on the left wing or the right wing to understand it. There was, you know, Paul Krugman recently, he called, he called the idea of using price controls idiotic or, or something like that. And he's, you know, he's hardly some right winger. So hopefully uh, we can, you know, improve Americans' understanding of some of these basic ideas. Absolutely. Again, I'll come back to the whole notion of introducing young people in your life, high school and college age, especially to fee.org, F-E-E.org. John, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, and thank you so much for having me. I'm Bob, and you have yourself a Merry Christmas here. You as well. Thank you so much, John. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett. He is a candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. He's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. Tim stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Collier County. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. And it's paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Cuyahoga County Supervisor of Elections. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of some terrific murder mysteries. His first is uh, Father the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Bunny Tree, and his latest, No Money, uh, No Problem, again, uh, murder mystery by uh, Jim McTagg. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure, Bob. I, I think I've harped on this topic before. You know, I was a newsman for 37 years. It's hard work to, to, to get at a, the, a close approximation of the truth. You never get to the absolute truth. You know, and, and on the journey, you reach some false conclusions, but you continue to dig, and you're, you're shocked and surprised at how, how, long you're, how wrong your suppositions were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I mean, the, the newspapers in this country have, have gotten so uh, partisan, it's hard for the average person to get the uh, what I call the Joe Friday truth. Remember, Dragnet had a detective named Sergeant Joe Friday. Yeah, only and the facts, man. Tell, only the facts. Yeah, <laughs> only the facts. So, so having said that, uh, one of my go-to websites is called Real Clear Politics, mm-hmm. and initially it was famous because. It aggregated all the polls, and it still does that. So it shows Trump with a tremendous lead over uh, uh, all the other Republican uh, primary hopefuls and a big lead over uh, Biden. Mm -hmm. So that's always important. But it's also become an aggregator of the news from the left and the right. And and so, for example, uh, there's a wonderful editorial in in, in uh, the Las Vegas newspaper today uh, that most of us would never have heard of, because <laughs> how many of us visit the Las Vegas Review Journal site? It's there in real clear politics. There's also a story in the Washington Post. Now I let my subscription to the Washington Post lapse because it's become such a horrible, biased uninformative newspaper. I think maybe it had one good story a month. Mm-hmm. Well, you can read their good stories in real clear politics, and there's one today. Uh, the headline is Biden increasingly frustrated by dismal polling numbers. It, it turns out, and this wasn't previously reported, that Biden threw a conniption last month because his polling numbers are so low, and, and instead of blaming himself, he's blaming his staff, as is the history of Joe Biden. You know, I know people who have worked for Joe Biden. That's, that's his modus operandi. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting in the article, and this hadn't dawned on me, Trump has such a huge lead in the primaries that he'll sew up the nomination way before Biden shows up his nomination. So, so Trump can immediately start a national campaign while Biden 
is still wooing voters at the state level. And that puts Biden at a horrible disadvantage. And I hadn't, that hadn't dawned on me before, number one. And, and number two, you see quotes in the paper like Biden saying, telling his staffers, this election is larger than I am. It's the fate of the country. He's making noises as though he's going to withdraw from the campaign. Yeah. Well, it's so I interesting. Think- I'd like to just underscore the real clear politics uh, they, you know, because they actually cite the uh, source of their information, which is really terrific, and uh, it is a great source of information. I, I haven't checked it out recently, so I'm happy you reminded me about that. But the other thing I want to mention is uh, yesterday in New Hampshire, Trump gave a major speech, so enthusiastic, so much support for him, but he never said a thing about his uh, about the uh, other members running for the, in the primary in the Democrat or Republican Party, he it was a clear attack on the policies of Biden. So he's already started the whole national campaign. He he has, but I mean, when he shows up, you know, in in terms of news coverage too, you know, the the newspapers are are, you know, will cover the uh, primaries the way they cover uh, the Super Bowl, and um, so the faster he sums that up the more he he's above the fold uh, once again in the newspapers yeah and let let me add <clears throat> the newspapers really you know although they uh, hate him <laughs> uh, they love him because he really does uh, boost their revenues sure he he sell he sells the papers so, uh, and just look what happened to CNN and uh, MSNBC and these other uh, news outlets. Once Trump was no longer in the, in the uh, political center, you know, in terms of uh, you know their their ratings dropped right off. So uh, they need Trump. <laughs> they love Trump. Now another thing that somebody pointed out to me: there are a lot of smart people out there, that, and I and I love to talk to them. Is that no matter who wins, Trump or Biden? We'll have a lame duck as president, so the chances are that the next four years are not going to be extremely productive. It really so that that means that the most important election will be Congress and the Senate. And and what's alarming for Republicans is that so many Republicans are stepping down. They're deciding not to run for election again. So uh, there's the great unknown that uh, we haven't been focusing on. You know, what will the outcome of the congressional votes be? Yeah, no, that's a great point. I do, I, Howard, suggest that it depends on who wins, of course, in, in uh, 2024. But if Trump gets in office, I think there will be a, a major, uh, I'm going to call it uh, cleaning of the slate with the deep state. I think that, that uh, we'll see that, uh, for example, he, he had a policy when he was first president. Uh, get rid of two regulations for every regulation that's newly imposed. I think that'll be that kind of a theory or, or a, a policy will be in place with Trump. We'll see a clearing up policies of uh, regulations. Uh, we'll uh, get uh, we'll drill, baby drill. We'll see a lot of things that will really make the America great again. Yeah. Well, in theory, and and now I'm going to swing to a different topic: artificial intelligence. In theory, artificial intelligence could replace uh, the, the bureaucrats. You know, like HUD is a jobs program for, for people in D.C. Uh, the Department of Education is a jobs program. It's, a, you know, a spoil system. Right. So theoretically, AI could streamline government and save taxpayers billions. But the spoil system is so deeply rooted. Like, it's part of the deep state. I'm not... Um, convinced that uh, a draining of a swamp can take place in, in less than 20 years. Wow, you, you, you make a great point, Jim. Uh, it's, it is uh, probably stronger than we could possibly imagine. Jim McTagg, again, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. His latest novel, and I encourage you to get a copy, it's a great read. It's called No Problem by Jim McTagg, M-C, capital T-A-G-U-E. Jim, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state Senate president. Boo Mortensen will be with us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, will be with us as well. 
I uh, always appreciate your listening to the show. I thank you so much for that. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll pass the word on to your friends and neighbors. It's one of the ways that we build our listenership and support our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>